Welcome to the Wise Crone Cottage Podcast with storyteller Kathy Shimpock. Here we'll meet the crone and uncover her wisdom as found in fairy tales, folk tales, and myths. For it is true that stories, as it is with many people, become better as they grow older. Know that no matter how difficult your journey has been through the magical forest, the wise crone always opens her door to you. In this episode, I'll be telling the story of Caredwin's quest. Next, we'll explore the concept of archetypes, and especially the archetype of the wise old woman. A great while ago, when the world was full of wonders. The Welsh story, The Birth of Taliesin, might equally be called Caredwin's Quest, for the story highlights two characters on a hero's journey. Some scholars have categorized this tale as a myth, that is, a sacred story concerning Celtic gods and goddesses. To them it is the story of the birth of the sun god, the Mabon, by the goddess Caridwen. The origin stories goes back to the ninth century. The earliest form of the name Caridwen meant crooked back woman, which identifies her as a crone. She has also been called the White Sow or the Great Witch. Others see this story more as a legend, a story about someone who lived or is believed to have lived. In this story, the young boy Gwion Bach later is reborn as Taliesin, a medieval Welsh poet. Caridwen here is identified as a sorceress. But which is correct? It seems pretty clear that both are probably true. This is certainly an old story with mythic remnants that over time became a legend as the birth of the mythical god became the magical birth of a renowned poet. In my telling, I portray Caridwen as young in appearance and identify her as a goddess. Academics no longer view her as a goddess, although in popular culture she remains one. But no matter what you call this story or how you identify Caridwen, there is no denying that she is the central character in this tale, at least for the majority of the story. And it is she, not a powerful male wizard, who birthed poetic inspiration from her cauldron. And for that, we should all be very grateful. But now, a story. Not in my time, not in your time, but in the wise crone's time. In the days of knights, ladies, and the round table of King Arthur, there was one beautiful woman with fiery red hair and emerald green eyes. She lived on an island in the center of a lake. She had a giant for a husband and two children, one a small girl with golden locks and rosy cheeks. They called her Cryowee. It meant dear one. And the other was older, her brother. But sadly, he was as disfigured and hideous in appearance as his sister was bonny and fair. When the people passed by him in the village, they turned their heads so as not to look at him. Or... Much worse, they would point and snicker. His name 
was utter darkness, but they called him Black Crow. His mother, like any mother, would have done anything to help her son live a good life, for his hideous expression meant that he would not be able to find love. He would not be able to find friendship. He would probably never have meaningful work in his life. But this wasn't just any mother. This was the goddess Caridwen, the Celtic goddess of the moon and of the harvest. And she had tried all of her magic, used all of her powers, and all that she knew in service to her son, but to no avail. And so in desperation... She went on a quest, searching through the land to see if she could find anything at all that might help him. She made her way up to the mountains of Snowdonia and knocked on the doors of the ancient druids, asking for their help. They recognized the goddess and opened their door wide leading her into their libraries where she looked at ancient manuscripts, books, and even rocks carved with secret symbols. After a while, she found exactly what she needed. It was the gift of the Awen. Ah, the Awen, the gift of inspiration from the gods. If her if her son, utter darkness, had the gift of the Awan, then he would be able to find love and friendship and meaning, for people would seek him out for his great wisdom and creativity and clarity of mind. And so she thanked the druids and took the recipe and began her search for all the ingredients on it. She had found almost all of them, except for a very wild mushroom that was quite rare and in the center of the forest. And when she tracked that down, she put it in her sack and then opened up the manuscript to make sure that she hadn't missed any other ingredient. And there was something on the text she hadn't noticed before. It was in the fine print, and she began to read, This potion must be stirred over an open flame, stirring continuously for a year and a day. A year and a day? A year and a day? Are you kidding me? A year and a day? What are those druids thinking? Who do they think I am? I am the goddess Caridwen. I have responsibilities. I must make sure that the moon is in the right place in the sky. I must make sure that the crops make it to harvest. I have a husband to deal with. I have two small children. How can I possibly stir a potion over a flame for a year and a day? Wow what to do. In that moment, as if by magic, it was as if by magic, because there in the distance she could see an old man 
who was blind being led by a young boy. Hmm. Excuse me, sir. Do you think that you might be able to help a lady in a time of distress? Well, the old man might have been blind of sight, but he had inner vision, and he knew immediately who this was. Oh, my dear goddess Caridwen, of course we would love to be in your service. And so she gathered together all the ingredients, brought out a large cauldron with ancient symbols on it, set it on a big pile of wood, and when the moon was in just the right location, she filled it up to the very brim with water. But before she left, she had some words of warning. I will be gone for a year and a day. You have agreed to be in my service and to stir that pot continuously for that time. Should you stop? Should any of the potion spill? Should the fire go out? I will know immediately, and there will be dire consequences. And then she was gone. Well, it wasn't so bad initially. It was spring, after all, and the old man and the young boy took turns, and they sang and told stories. And then the summer came, and sure, it was hot, but there was plenty of berries to eat and plenty of wood to find, and they managed quite well. And then the autumn came, but it got very windy, and things started to die, and they became a bit worried. Winter was the worst. It was freezing cold, so cold, in fact, that they had to cover up their heads and shoulders and make their way arm in arm under the same blanket, stirring together to stay warm. It was hard to find wood and much harder to find food. They weren't sure they were going to make it. But one day, the boy woke up early. He was so excited. Oh, me, it's 365 days. It is 365 days. Tomorrow, the goddess will come, and then I will be free, and I can go play with the other boys, and it's going to be wonderful. And it was his time to stir, and so he decided to step on his tippy toes and look down in the potion because he hadn't checked on it in quite some while. And what he saw made him look in horror. <gasps> oh, my goodness! Oh, my goodness! Oh, my goodness! Oh, no! Where did all the potion go? It's all down at the bottom. It was up at the top, and now it's down at the bottom. And, oh, she's going to come, and she's going to say, we did something to her potion. And I know she's going to turn me into a toad. I'm just going to be a toad. I'm too young to be a toad. I can't ask the old man. He can't see, and he won't believe me what to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. <gasps> think, 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 think. Think, 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 think. Oh, breathe, breathe, breathe. Ah. <gasps> 
Oh, I know, I know, I know what we can do. I'm going to stir the brew up as fast as I can and see if I can get a a froth on it, like the head of beer. And if I can get it all frothy, then she won't know, and I won't be a toad. Well. That was all he could do, and so he stirred and stirred and stirred and stood on his tippy toes and tippy toes and walked around and around the big pot and, ooh, it was hard day, but he gave it his all. And then, the next day, three hundred and sixty-six days, a year and a day, and the goddess was going to come, and the young boy whose name was Guion Bach, he looked down, and there was even less. Oh no! What to do? There's even less potion now than before. Well, Guion was in desperation, but he didn't have any other ideas, and so he walked even faster and faster around the cauldron and stirred faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, and faster until. The bottom of the ladle hit the metal of the bottom of the cauldron, and his arm flew up in the air. And a single drop of scalding hot potion flew in the air, and he jumped up to grab it, and it hit his thumb. Ow! 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 <gasps> and he put his thumb in his mouth. It was so hot. Well, I would have done that, wouldn't you? Well, in that moment. Guion discovered the secret that Caridwen had kept from them, and that was that only the first few drops of the potion had the gift of the Awen; the rest was just poison. And in that moment, the cauldron cracked open, and black sludge made its way. To the lake, Guion knew that he was in trouble. He knew he had to escape, and so he began to run down the forest as fast as he could. And there, in the distance, he could hear the goddess screaming from the center of the lake, "My Arwen, the Arwen, you've taken the Arwen from utter darkness. I will kill you." And so he began to run even faster and faster, but there were great big rocks and boulders in his path, and he thought, "Oh me! If I was only a hare, I could leap over those rocks, and I could maybe get away from her." And in that moment, he was transformed into the hare, and sure enough, he could go much faster. But the goddess cared when. She wasn't new to shape shifting herself, and she transformed herself into a sleek black greyhound dog and began to run as fast as she could until she almost had the hare in her grasp. But Guion looked before him and saw a river. He jumped in the river as the hare, and transformed himself into a salmon. And the salmon can swim against stream, and so he began to swim as fast as he could. But Caridwen jumped in as the hound, and transformed herself into an otter. And the otter is an excellent swimmer, and soon, almost again, had the salmon. But this time, 
Guion jumped into the air as a salmon and shape-shifted into a wren and flew as fast as he could, flapping his little wings higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher until he thought, oh, he was exhausted, he couldn't fly anymore. And he waited just a second, hoping he was safe, and then there she was, the goddess-cared one, as a hawk with her talons outstretched. Oh, well, it was desperate times, and Guion looked down below, and all he could see was a large pile of grain that a farmer had left beneath him, and so he turned himself in to a single kernel of wheat and floated down and down and down and down and down until he hit the pile of wheat and settled in the center. And there he thought maybe... He was finally safe. But in a few moments, thump, there she was, carried one as a big, black hen. And she began to scratch and peck and scratch and peck and scratch and peck and scratch until she found that single kernel and gobbled it down. <laughs> oh, me, it was such a jolly time. I mean, really, I haven't had such a good adventure in way many, many years. But really, did that boy think that he ever had a chance of defeating me? I mean, really, me, Caridwen the goddess? No, it was just too ridiculous. But I did enjoy, just for a moment. And off she went, searching for another answer for her son. And all was well for about three months. And then... She began to know that she was pregnant, but she hadn't laid with her husband. <sighs> that upstart, that upstart, that upstart impregnated me. Well, well, we'll just wait and see. That baby's going to be born sometime, and then he'll see what's going to happen to him. And sure enough... Six months later, the babe was born. Oh, he was so beautiful. He had wide hair and wide eyebrows and this angelic expression and piercing blue eyes. And he, he was so sweet. And when the goddess held him in her arms, Caridwen looked at him and her heart swelled with love for him. But no, no, she couldn't love this child. She had other darkness she had to deal with. She couldn't possibly have the child who had cursed utter darkness to his misery. And so she took a leather sack and placed the babe inside, stitched it up, and tossed it into the sea, where it floated for a day and a week and a month, and a year, ten years, a hundred years, maybe even a thousand years, until one day that leather sack caught on some fishing nets 
and a very unlucky prince came to check those nets for fish. There weren't any fish there. And that prince became quite lucky when he found that leather sack. He took a knife and slid it open, and there was the babe inside, cooing. And he looked at the babe and said, Taliesin! And the babe sat up and said, I, I be Taliesin! I am Taliesin! And Taliesin grew to be the greatest poet, the greatest bard, the greatest storyteller, some people say, in all of Wales, in all of Britain, and maybe even the entire world. And that gift of inspiration that was given to Taliesin is still being shared with each of us today. You may be wondering how I know these old stories, but that is a story for another day. The moral of the story is... Throughout these podcasts, I have been referencing archetypes. What are archetypes? Archetypes are universal roles, characterizations, and patterns of behavior. The Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung included archetypes within his concept of the collective unconscious, that part of us that can access universal symbols, metaphors, and stories. In a way reminiscent to the migration of birds flying thousands of miles from home without a map, the collective unconscious is the secret road map to our psyche. He proposed that different cultures, far removed from each other, created art, symbols, and stories with uncanny similarities by accessing the collective unconscious, contained perhaps within our very DNA. Similarly, archetypes become the known patterns of behavior in all our lives. No matter where or when we have lived on earth, there is a recognition and an understanding of the archetypes of the good mother, the trickster, or the hero. Although Jung examined only a handful of archetypes during his lifetime, other scholars have extended his theory to more and more common behavioral patterns. Archetypes are commonly used today in literary analysis and identified within folktales. The book Archetypes and Motifs in Folklore and Literature, a handbook, authors Jane Gary and Hassan El-Shami define archetypes as a pattern of primary significance with deep psychic resonance that also occurs in various literary genres. The wise old woman, or the wise crone character, qualifies as an archetype as it is found universally within differing cultures throughout time. How best to define her? Although the wise old woman archetype is not identified fully within any of the standard works, we are not without guidance. Carl Jung wrote about three archetypes that can give us clues as to her nature. These include the good mother, great mother, the wise old man, and the shadow. Jung identified the good mother as the one who has maternal solicitude and sympathy, the magic authority of the female, 
the wisdom and spiritual exaltation that transcends reason, any helpful instinct or impulse, all that is benign, all that cherishes and sustains, that fosters growth and fertility. Perhaps the most memorable mother in Welsh folklore is Caridwen. Her name identifies her as the wise old woman or the crone, even if her appearance doesn't. Goddesses are ageless, after all, and she is a skilled shapeshifter. However, to Jung, all archetypes contain both a light and a shadow side. The shadow side includes both the unknown or unconscious elements and those that are more negative in nature. To Jung, the good mother then becomes the great mother, the one that is the mother of the mother. As the great mother, she embodies both the wisdom and the malevolence and destruction of the witch, both the shadow and the light. The wise old woman is not a witch, evil crone, or hag, as found in many folk tales, for these are one-sided characterizations representing only the shadow side of the great mother. Instead, the Indian goddess Kali is a better example of the great mother, with her dual qualities of destruction and creation. We see that same duality in the character of Caridwen. She is a committed and caring mother who would do anything for her son, but she is also a fierce and dangerous opponent to Guillaume Bach. We see her threatening his life and happy with his apparent demise. Yet once he is reborn to her, there is a maternal bond. She decides she can't raise the babe and places him in a coracle and tosses him into the sea. The question remains, was that the action of an evil mother or a mother who could foresee the child's future? The backstory is not provided here, but as a storyteller, I prefer to believe she knew Guion's future destiny. Certainly in the character of Caridwen, we see this archetype in both its shadow and its light. Jung takes this concept of duality further in his discussion of the wise old man archetype. This archetype has a spiritual component and can be represented as either the wise old man, a personification of God, or as the wicked old man, for each element is represented equally within this archetype. Symbolically, Jung believed that both the wise old man and the wise old woman archetypes represented the self, whether seen within story as a goddess, a fairy godmother, or a helper. The self is the center of the psyche, the part which integrates both our light and darkness through a process Jung called individuation. What qualities then define the wise old woman? She embodies both qualities of light and darkness within one character. The wise old woman is kind, compassionate, and wise, and also mysterious, magical, and prophetic. We see her in folk tales as a protective old woman who comes to the aid of the hero and as the one who tests the worthiness of that same hero. We also occasionally see her as the unlikely hero in her own right. She is the keeper of traditions and knowledge, the voice of nature, independent and respected, eccentric, intuitive, and instinctive. She is the one to be listened to, for she knows the truth and can see through any illusion. At times she is benevolent, 
while other times she appears detached, cryptic, and even cruel. She is both judge and jury and dispenses justice to those who are found by her to be unworthy. This is a complex archetype that we will be exploring together in folk and fairy tales, mythology, and contemporary fantasy fiction and films. We'll discover her in story and find her within ourselves and others. The wise crone knows it's time for you to leave. Your journey home takes you back through the forest. It may at times be difficult, but no fear. Her final words to you are, Remember to stay on the path. Do not leave the path no matter what you see or experience. And so it was, and so it is. Thank you for listening. We'll meet again the fourth Sunday of each month. This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Symbol Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life. This is the storyteller, Kathy Shimpok. This podcast is narrated by Linda Bennett. Music is The Snow Queen by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Stories by the Brother Grimm are in the public domain.